So glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, would you open them? However you get your Bible, electronic or paper form, uh, open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 1 as we begin our, or continue our series, Letters to Leaders from the Pastoral Epistles. And don't let that throw you. An epistle is just a fancy word for a letter. And a pastor is a leader of a congregation. And we are looking at how God calls all of us really into some form of leadership in our lives and we believe that this is going to help us. Again, I want to speak to our young people, our, our students, our teenagers, uh, because Timothy was, by many accounts, either a young teenager or just early into his, uh, out of his teenage years. This may have something to say to you. I believe it does. And so teenagers, listen in and lean, lean in and uh, let's hear what God has to say. So if you would, let's hear the word of the Lord this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is Paul speaking. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, And a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the Word of God for the people of God, and our response is, thanks be to God. Amen. Well, like I said, we're right in week three, and so I want to catch us up. If you haven't been here, if, you ha- if you're still on your summer break, and this is your first time back in after a full week of school, let's, let's look at this. Uh, so in week one, we saw in, in the book of Titus that Jesus, uh, or that Paul was, was talking to Titus and showed us that every Christian has a place of leadership. You may not be called to be the guy or lady who stands up here and proclaims the Word of God, but you have a place of leadership in your business, in your school, in your home, in your family, uh, among your friends. You have a place where leadership is required and needed. Also, Christian leaders exhibit the behaviors of Jesus in their everyday lives. We looked at all of those. The way He loved, the way He accepted, the way He called, uh, the way He rebuked even in love and was able to do that. Those behaviors are called for Christian leaders to be in our lives. And then last week, in week two, we saw that Christian leaders remain even when it's difficult. They rebuke with love. It means they can do that within a loving spirit and for the purposes of love. uh, To see love flourish in that relationship. And then they remember and repeat the goal. 
which is to see love flourish in the world. The love that Christ had to give. That sacrificial love that we talked about. Well, this week as we come here, we have really one point that's really going to tie in beautifully with our baptisms. And so I'm excited for this to happen. We're going to have a great celebration here in just a few minutes. But Paul shows Timothy, and through Timothy to us, that Christian leaders know their stories. They know the good, the bad, the ugly. But it doesn't end there. They also know the Gospel. They know their stories. They know the good, the bad, the ugly. And they know the Gospel. And so I want us to begin to see this. Because Paul starts this very passage by talking about gratitude with being chosen. He is saying to those, uh, he says this right here, if you want to look in your scriptures at, at verse one, verse, I'm sorry, chapter one, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. He is modeling how Timothy should lead with gratefulness. Paul was able to look, and we'll understand more clearly in just a few minutes, this amazing sense of awe and wonder that Christ chose me. That He saw in me something that was trustworthy and appointed me to His service. And Paul wants to pass that on to Timothy and on from Timothy on to us. That if we are called to lead, we are called to lead from a place of gratitude. A place where we look and wonder, wow, how did I get here? This is amazing. So I ask you today, in the places where you lead, in your families, in your jobs, when was the last time you expressed gratitude for what you get to do in your everyday life? Teenagers, when was the last time you woke up and thought, I am in a, in a really good family? Like, I, I have a place to sleep and it's comfortable. I get food on the table. Uh, uh, they take me to school. I have clothes. When was the last time you just led by example of saying, wow, I can't believe me. I get to be in this family. Or that I have access to education. When was the last time you were grateful for what you've been able to learn? When was the last time you were grateful for the job that you have? As difficult as some of those relationships might be, when was the last time you said, how did I get here? I know I worked hard and I did something, but what opportunities. They chose me to fill this position. Amazing. When was the last time you began with gratitude? Husbands and wives. When was the last time you looked with gratitude into the eyes of your spouse? said, wow, I get to be married to this hot woman over here. <laughs> yeah, that one right there. Point her out. When was the last time you led with gratitude? Everything I've read in leadership says that a leader who expresses gratitude leads in such a powerful way because people want to follow someone who is grateful that they are, on, uh, they are coming along with them. And is grateful and doesn't just see it as their right, 
but they lead with gratitude. Let's move on. Uh, because Paul then moves into what we would call the bad. It's not the worst, but it's some of the, the negative things. Paul shares his past mistakes. This is something that a lot of our leaders today, and, and, and if we're not careful, can happen to us. We just don't want to share the mistakes. We're told to hide the mistakes, conceal the mistakes, gloss over the mistakes. Don't share them, whatever you do. But Paul, in verse 13, says, I was once a blasphemer and a, persecu- a persecutor and a violent man. And I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I did these things because of my unbelief and because I was ignorant of what God was really up to in the world. So you need to know a little bit about Paul's story if you're not too familiar with Paul. Uh, Paul was really a religious terrorist. He was so zealous for the Jewish law that when these Christians who were Jews at the time started saying that Jesus was the Messiah and that Jesus had raised, been raised from the dead and that Jesus was now with God interceding on our behalf, praying for us to the Father. He began to say, this cannot be. And he began to pur- purposefully be violent towards those who were Christian. He rose through the power ranks and used that position of power to even give authority to the killing of Stephen. And he was on his way to do even more damage to Christians and to the church when he was met by Jesus on the road. And all of a sudden, everything that he thought he believed, he realized was unbelief. And that he was really ignorant of what God could really do. Again, Paul is modeling this for Timothy and from Timothy down to us. That we are called to just know that we are human beings. And we're called to to be aware of our weaknesses. To be aware of those places in our lives where we have blind spots. Where we, we struggle. And I know we want to hide them. But it is okay in Christian leadership to begin to acknowledge some of those. If you don't acknowledge your blind spots, you will end up injuring someone. How many of you have ever gotten into the car after your spouse drove and you didn't adjust the mirrors and you're just about to change lanes and all of a sudden there's a loud horn? If you don't know where your blind spots are, you can cause a lot of damage. So leaders, student leaders, all the way up to leaders of organizations and businesses, to pastors, When was the last time that you even acknowledged that you have weaknesses or blind spots? One of the most powerful moments in my life was when uh, my dad, and earlier that day we had gotten into some kind of argument. I was a teenager, so I probably thought I knew better. And and, uh, you may not know this about my dad. He was a very gentle soul, but when he put his foot down, it it was down. And he had done that. And I'd gone off to school, and he had to be away at a conference. I'll never forget coming home that night and getting ready for bed and reaching under my pillow and finding a letter that said I lost my temper. And And I wish teenagers came with instruction manuals, but they don't. And I'm not always going to get this right. And I hate it that I have to be away tonight. This is before Skype or FaceTime. Back in the dark ages. (laughs) But I want you to know that I love you. And when I come back, we'll talk. He acknowledged weakness. He acknowledged. It led me to think about, oh yeah, 
yeah, maybe I don't know everything that I think I know. And it opened up that thing. So Paul is modeling and showing something beautiful that our world needs so desperately right now. People who are just willing to be human and take the risk of sharing what is vulnerable in the hopes that it will be reciprocated. we got to move on. He gets to the ugly. And the ugly, he calls himself the worst of sinners. Now I want to unpack this a little bit because sometimes that, that word sinners has a lot of baggage. And, and so I want you to understand this from the very beginning. Okay, And so the worst of sinners, what Paul is trying to say is that Christian leaders know that they need transformation. They need the help of God if they are to lead beyond their weaknesses. That's what Paul is saying in all of this. That, that I know that I'm going to need help with my weaknesses and my blind spots. I can't do this on my own. It will only be through the help of the body of Christ or Christ Himself that will transform me and allow me to lead beyond those blind spots. So I want you to understand what sinner means. Can we do that really quickly here? Sin, the Hebrew word is chata. Everybody say chata. All right, I'm not going to have you say it again because we have another word. In Greek, in the New Testament, it is the word hamartia. Say hamartia. Okay, chata, hamartia. These were not originally religious terms. It really means to fail or to miss the goal. Both words mean the same thing. To fail or to miss the goal. Let me show you this. Uh, because in Judges 20, verse 16, they talk about some... Some soldiers, some select soldiers, each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not, say the word with me, chata. They didn't miss. They split the hair. They have a hard time with me. We go on. We can see also in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2. How much more will hasty feet, say it with me, chata the way. They'll miss the way. You'll end up in a funny place. You'll end up in a, in a, in a, not where you intended to go. You will miss the goal. So in the Bible, to sin is to miss the goal. So that begs the question, what is the goal? Everybody say, what is the goal? I'm glad you asked. Here we go. I want to take you right back to the beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1 at verse 27. So God created humankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, God created them. This lets us know that you and me, male and female, are created in the image of God. Do you know this about yourself? That's why last week I said sometimes it's the hardest thing is to look in the mirror And know that what you are viewing, God sees as very good and made in His image. Male and female. The Bible wants us to know that the goal is to see every person. How many people? Every person. As an image of God. And give them the honor that an image of God should be given. Every person. You mean that person? Yep, that person. Ah, but no, that person. Yes, that person. You, you don't believe me? Don't, don't take my word for it. Let's look. You look at the Ten Commandments. The first five commandments are how you can fail at loving God. So you should not do this. You should not have any other gods before me. You should not. You should not. You should not. The second five are how you can fail at loving people. 
So you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not kill, you should not covet. That's how you can fail at loving people. These two are, are held together in tension because they're combined. They're called the Ten Commandments, not the five suggestions, and then five more suggestions. They're the Ten Commandments. That loving God and loving people are the goal of what God wants to do. And so since they are combined, it shows how closely loving God and loving people, who are God's image bearers, are connected. In the Bible, to sin against people is to sin against God. Let that sink in. And think about the relationships you've had with people all this week. To sin against people, to miss the mark, to hata, to hamartia, to see that they are the image of God and giving them honor is a sin against God. It's missing the point of what God longs to do in the world. And you want to see this is in Genesis chapter 39. Joseph is propositioned by Potiphar's wife, his boss. And he says, how could I say the word again? Hata against Potiphar? No. Against uh, his wife? No. Against himself? No. Who could I kata against? Who? God. He understood. It's an image of God right here. This relationship that I have with, with Potiphar, is, he's an image of God. And if I were to take advantage of that, then I am kata against God. I am missing the point of what God wants to do in the world. That's a sin. Jesus combines it. He says the greatest commandments are what? Love God with everything. All your heart, mind, soul, and your strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. God connects these. We are called to connect these. That is the goal. Now it gets even deeper because the worst part is most of the time when people are chata or hamartia in the Bible, they don't even realize it. Or they think they are succeeding. I want you to see this in Pharaoh. Pharaoh wants a strong economy and national security. You can read this in Exodus. And so he thinks it's actually good to enslave the Hebrew people and to kill Hebrew babies. But is that good? No. That's hata. That's hamartia. King Saul, later on in Samuel, he thinks he's bringing David, a rebel, to justice and finds out in the midst of it that he is the rebel. And he says, he exclaims in 1 Samuel 26-21, I have chatad. I have sinned. I have missed the mark. Back to Paul. Because he thinks he's stamping out a heresy and finds out that he is the heretic. He takes it even deeper. And he says that deception can be so strong that he later compares hamartia with slavery. He says that we are slaves to sin. He even tries to describe what's going on inside. And he says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but I keep doing the evil that I do not want to do. That's what I keep doing. This runs deep. I love what Dr. Tim Mackey says here when he says, the Bible is trying to tell us that failed human behavior and our tendency towards self-deception runs very deep. It's rooted in our selfish desires and urges. Let me pause there. The key word is selfish. You're a human being. You have desires and urges. Those are not bad. 
When they move into the category of Hata is when they are selfish, when I'm grabbing them for my own benefit at the expense of someone else. So it is rooted in our selfish desires and urges that compel us to act for our own benefit at the expense of others. And this leads to a chain reaction of relational breakdown. Have I made sin understandable for you? Does it hit near the mark? Because... In these letters to us, to leaders, we're called to know our blind spots. We're called to acknowledge them. And we are called to know, we know, deeply know, that I need help to live beyond those things. Transformation is not optional. It's a must. Or I will keep grabbing for myself the things that are not honoring to other people, which is chata to God. This is pretty low-down stuff, isn't it? But don't forget, it's not just the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's good news. That's the Gospel. And Paul declares it. And I think I just I tried to read it with awe and wonder. As he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save hamartia. Those who commit hamartia. Those who miss the mark. Those who miss the goal. Those who have, in their ignorance and unbelief, have taken advantage of other people, have missed the goal of treating others with dignity and respect, have sinned. And he says, of whom I am the worst. Why does he say that? It's not just him beating himself up. The goal is not for you to go out of here thinking, I am the worst of sinners, and that's where I have to live my daily life. Paul says this, I think, because he knows he was a Pharisee. He had like the first five books of the Bible memorized, and everything that every important scholar said about the first five books of the Bible memorized. He should have known. He should have known the story of Joseph and Potiphar. He should have known the Ten Commandments. He should have known that those two had to be connected. He should have known that the goal was to see every person as an image of God. And he didn't. And in fact, he went so far as to stand and murder an image of God. You think he might think, I'm the worst at missing the point. I just missed the point. I should have, but I missed it. And look what happened. He goes on. And he says, basically what this means for us is that chata, hamartia, failure, mistakes, grasping, self-deception, and relational breakdown do not have the final word. Can I get an amen? The love of Jesus gets the final word. Where transformation is required, Jesus provides even that. He said, I was given the gift of Christ that came with faith. Came with faith and came with love. Again, bringing us back to that goal. Think about this for a second. If Christ can take the cross, the worst symbol of fear and hatred, and turn it into a symbol of love and hope, what can Christ do with your worst? If you're sitting there worried about, oh man, this, this, I know, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. I am the worst. Think about what Christ can do. It even corrects, and I'm, I'm just going to say this. 
It even corrects the church's chata of focusing so much on sin that they almost exclude the Gospel. I was taught this. you got to really ram it home about what sinners they are so that you make them thirsty or you make them hungry for the good news. The problem is, is that the way it worked itself out is I saw a lot of people leave sanctuaries feeling like they were the worst of sinners and they never heard the good news. And church, we can do that. Is sin important? Did I just preach a whole message on it? But if you leave here not hearing the good news that your chata or hamartia doesn't get the final word, then open your ears right now. Hear the good news that Jesus loves you right where you are. Paul goes on and says, for this very reason, because I was the worst of sinners, because I missed the point, because I'm just clueless, because I, I keep over and over doing this, for this very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense what? Patience. Oh, what a beautiful word. That when we keep messing up, God is still patient. God wants to show mercy. And He makes in that patience and in that mercy, He shows an example of those who would believe in Him would trust that He really is that merciful. That would trust that He really is that patient. It's not just believing about. It's about trusting in. I'm going to place all my full weight of who I am, who God calls me, that He is that merciful, that He is that patient, and that He wants to make an example of me. His patience in me. And that life is so strong, even death cannot take it. So, where is your chata? Are you able to see it? Has the Holy Spirit just kind of tapped you on the shoulder and made you aware, reminded you of a few things today? Can you hear the good news? Can you hear the good news? Are you willing to let Christ's patience be displayed in you for the sake of others? Are you willing for that to take place for you? Well, baptism is the beginning. Baptism is the beginning. I want you to see this really quick. Water is the symbol. What does it symbolize? It symbolizes that God uses the ordinary things for extraordinary purposes. That water in there is just portage tap water. How many of you have it running out of your homes? Yep. It's ordinary. I didn't even say a prayer over it or anything. But when God uses it for baptism... It does some extraordinary things. He uses it for extraordinary purposes. We use water for drinking, to quench thirst. God uses baptism to show us that He is the only one who can quench our soul's thirst. Where we have hata, He brings us back. We use it for cleaning. And God through this says, My Spirit in the water is the only thing that can truly cleanse. And this is one we hate, especially when water ends up in our homes. We know this, don't we? It finds its way to the lowest place and pools up from there, doesn't it? God wants you to know in baptism 
that His Spirit, His grace, His gift, His patience will find its way to the lowest place in your soul. And His grace and mercy will pool up from there, cleaning you from the inside out. It also supports you when it's around you and you're, you're kind of released into the floating of that. It's a beautiful symbol of what God does for us. But it is also symbolizing the death and life of Jesus and the death and life of us, that I'm going to surrender to Jesus. I'm going to die to myself and be raised to new life in Him. And it's a life that is taught by the patience of Jesus bringing forth the love of Jesus in your life and in my life. This is a beautiful thing, baptism, isn't it? So why are so many people so resistant to it? We have people in this very church who have been here for a long time and they've never been baptized. I've said it once, I'll say it again. There are no unbaptized Christians. Come and be a part of this. We're going to baptize four today, but I want you to know that we're going to do another baptism in February. 